Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian podcast. I'm Nick D'Alessandro. I apologize in advance if my voice sounds a little sick currently. That's because I am sick. I'm happy to be back with you, though, this week talking about the issues facing the Sunshine State. Today, I'll be covering the idea of a living wage, what exactly that means, and how plausible the idea is in our state. But first, some news. The races for governor and senator are heating up as the candidates hit the campaign trail and prepare for the general election on November 6th. Ron DeSantis, the Republican candidate for governor, left his position in Congress on September 10th, citing that he would be missing several session days in Congress due to campaigning, and that would be, quote, inappropriate for me to accept a salary, unquote. Between then and the election, Congress would be in session for only 15 days of the nearly two months between the two dates. As of the day this episode was recorded, Thursday, September 20th, the two candidates for governor are currently clashing on education. Andrew Gillum, the Democratic candidate, has recently been speaking to teachers at campaign stops about how he plans to funnel more money into education. He plans on increasing the corporate income tax in Florida from 5.5% to 7.75%. Corporate tax, to be clear, for those who don't know, is the amount of taxes taken from the profit of U.S. corporations. The state with the highest corporate income tax rate is Iowa at 12%. Gillum proposes that if we increase the corporate income tax rate in Florida by a little over 2%, that would add about $1 billion that Gillum would use for several needs in the state education system, including raising the teacher's minimum starting salary to $50,000. Ron DeSantis also plans on redirecting money for the purpose of education, instead citing that 80% of school dollars would go directly to the classroom, up from the current 74%. He also offers several proposals that would increase the accessibility of private and charter schools to students and families. This all comes from the Daily Commercial, a newspaper based out of Leesburg, Florida. However, one columnist from the Tampa Bay Times says both plans don't go far enough. John Romano says both plans sound great in campaigns but have no practicality in execution. Romano's op-ed rips apart both plans and is a great read on the problematic way we talk about funding education in Florida. One of the last lines in Romano's piece is scathing. Quote, it doesn't help to use the lives of students to pander to your voting demographic, unquote. As for the Senate race, things have been pretty nasty, with both candidates taking heaps of damage related to the red tides in Florida. The red tide, you'll remember, is caused by the toxic algae bloom that formed in Lake Okeechobee after several problems, including decreased funding, increased pollution, and political corruption led to a toxic plant killing thousands of animals. This red tide has now spread from South Florida all the way to our panhandle and is growing due to pollution from the Mississippi River. Governor Rick Scott, the Republican candidate for senator, according to the Orlando Sentinel, has received $600,000 from sugar interests over several years. The sugar industry, you'll remember, refuses to sell land that could defuse the algae bloom and instead allow it to bloom in the lake. This caught up with Governor Scott, who had massive amounts of protesters at his campaign stops on this past Monday, the 17th. So much so that he had to cancel an event later that day. In the weeks leading up to the election, you won't be hearing me talk about polls much. I did an episode about the primaries about 10 days before they were held, and my research at that time showed Andrew Gillum in fourth place. He is now the candidate. So basically, don't listen to polls. It's hard to guess where people are really going to fall when the time comes. A great example of this is the Senate race currently being held between Governor Scott and Senator Bill Nelson. Scott Maxwell of the Orlando Sentinel reports that one poll shows Nelson up by one, and another shows Scott up by two. So, don't worry about it. Just campaign yourself, spread your beliefs independent of polls, that's pretty much the safest bet. 
All right, now for our Florida Animal of the Week. Our Florida Animal of the Week is the Gopher Tortoise. The Gopher Tortoise is our state tortoise, and that is not a joke. It is our official state tortoise. That's right, our official state tortoise. Gopher tortoises are native to the southeastern United States and have ancestors that date back as far as 60 million years ago. They are famous for digging massive burrows and share those burrows with over 350 other species. This makes them what's called a keystone species, meaning other species depend on their existence to survive. The gopher tortoise is a threatened species, however, and as their population declines, so do the populations of the species that depend on their burrows to survive. So keep an eye out for them and their homes as they are protected by state law. All right, on to our featured story of the week. I live in the suburbs of Orlando, and I travel all over the city beautiful in my day to day. I recently started a job in Maitland, where I take some back roads to reach my place of work. On one road, I came across two massive, beautiful apartment complexes that were brand new, with these intricate designs and just a generally chic aesthetic. They're reminiscent of apartment buildings that I've seen popping up all over our suburbs, from Winter Park to Celebration to even some areas just outside of downtown Orlando itself. Everywhere you look, land is being purchased and being turned into these massive, well-designed apartment complexes. I'd be lying if I said they weren't appealing. I mean, they're beautiful, their aesthetic is great, and they certainly present this idea of a cool apartment right in town. It doesn't feel like you're in the suburbs, it feels like you're in a city. Here's the thing about those apartments though. I know I can't afford those apartments. And in the next couple of years, I probably still won't be able to afford those apartments. I recently read last month an article in Orlando Weekly about an increase in rent in the city. Their information comes from a blog called Rent Cafe, which shares that from July of 2017 to July of 2018, the average price of rent in Orlando increased by 7.7%. This adds to another report from Orlando Weekly, which shares that the state of Florida's property value increased by nearly 6%, which makes our housing market officially labeled as quote unquote overvalued. As for apartments, a studio apartment in Orlando now costs $99 more per month than it did a year ago. This is consistent with all of the problems facing life in Florida. United Way came out with a report in July that came to several disturbing conclusions. This report is part of a project called the Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed, or ALICE, project. ALICE refers to households that are above the federal poverty level but still cannot afford basic needs. This report came to a startling conclusion for Florida. This is a direct quote from the report. 44% of households in Florida could not afford basic needs such as housing, childcare, food, healthcare, and transportation in 2015. 14.5% lived in poverty in 2015, and another 29.5% fit into the definition of Alice, basically meaning they're the working poor. The report adds that part of the reason why this number is so high is because of the sheer amount of low-wage jobs in Florida. Many of these low-wage jobs are related to tourism, which is our biggest industry in the state. 67% of all jobs in the state pay less than $20 per hour. 50% of all jobs in the state less than 15 per hour. 
Florida's unemployment rate today is 3.8%, which is fantastic without context, but when you consider the aforementioned numbers, it starts to feel a little more bitter and a lot less sweet. United Way also reports that other trends make this situation even more complicated, such as the aging population, racial inequalities, creation of even more low-wage jobs, and technology removing the need for certain jobs. How do we fix a problem like this, such as low-paying jobs? Many politicians use the buzzwords living wage, meaning increasing the minimum wage in a state to make it so that people can live exclusively and comfortably on minimum wage. The idea of a living wage is one of the top issues on Bernie Sanders' website. It states we, quote, must increase it to $15 an hour over the next several years. Andrew Gillum, the Democratic candidate for governor, echoes this idea, making it one of his most spoken of talking points. The minimum wage in Florida is currently $8.25 an hour. This is a topic that is going to keep coming for the next few years as we talk about workers and as living wages start being at the forefront of our national conversation. They already are. People are already talking about it constantly. But we hit a wall all the time because people on the left often say we have to increase this minimum wage to 15 so that there's a living wage so that people working starter entry-level jobs can live. There's a, there's a calculator there's a calculator online from MIT where you can put the state that you're from and the county in that state that you currently live in, and it'll tell you what the minimum wage is in that county and then what they consider to be the living wage based on several different articles and facets that allow them to come to that conclusion. In Orange County, one adult, our minimum wage is $8.25. To make it a living wage, it would have to be over $11. But when you talk about this, people on the right often say things like a minimum wage wasn't ever supposed to be a living wage. They also say things like if you increase the minimum wage, then there won't be enough money in the corporations to do other things and some companies might go bankrupt. It's a problem without a solution or it's a problem without a solution that we're talking about or it feels like there's this X factor, this hidden thing, this, this, this other problem that nobody's talking about that if someone would budge on that thing, then we would have a solution, then we can increase minimum wage, or we, we could decrease the, the amount that people have to spend on a day-to-day -day basis, but we keep the rates the same, and we increase the price of things, right? So what's the answer? I don't have one. That's a theme I keep coming back to in all of these episodes, just one after another. We've talked about immigration, education, Medicare, and now wages and the cost of living. And I keep coming to the same standstill. We talk about these problems for decades in this country, and we still don't have an answer. The state of Florida reflects, in my mind, just how complicated things can be. I thought, frankly, naively, that research and, and understanding would lead to a clearer answer, or just a, a clearer explanation of what exactly the problem is, and... I wish I could tell you a series of true things and then help myself and my listeners to find new answers to hard problems. But I gotta be frank with you. There are no easy answers to the hard problems. There's not even medium answers to the hard problems. And while we puzzle on these problems and factor in the politics, people suffer. People lose. People fall behind and we can't help them catch up. I know that sounds very dire and Frankly, it is. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be informed. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be optimistic. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be hopeful. I'm going to pop in a song real quick here called Presidential Silver Lining by John Craigie. 
It has a lyric that I think applies in moments where the hard problems don't have an easy answer. You gotta fight it. And when we fight it, we always win. Oh, but the pessimist in us wants to scream, Craigie, shut up! What about the battles that we lose? I tell you, fool, them just the battles that we haven't won yet. So, whenever you're feeling down, sort of like I was while researching this episode, just keep that in mind. Next week, the amendments on the ballot on November 6th. What are they? What does voting yes mean? What does voting no mean? I'll break it down. Then after that, it'll be October, which means I have the pleasure to make an announcement that I'm very excited about. For the first three Fridays in October, I'll be releasing an episode each week specifically related to a piece of Florida folklore. The first on the 5th, the second on the 12th, and the third on the 19th. So. Look forward to those because I certainly am. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or sharing with a friend. This thing can only grow by word of mouth and I know I can count on you for that. If you have any questions or suggestion for an episode, you can reach me at wait5minutespodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Our theme song is Good Thoughts by Lobo Loco. This episode featured other songs from Lobo Loco and you can see the names of those songs in the episode description below. All the articles and websites used can be found below as well. Remember to get everyone you know registered to vote for the 6th. It's vitally important. Until next week, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and please drink more water. Good night.